Section 7 of Gallipoli Diary. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Gallipoli Diary by John Graham Gillum. Section 7, May 14th to 23rd, 1915. May 14th. Big guns started searching the beach with large, high-explosive shells at four for two hours. Everyone had to take cover. Aeroplane reconnaissance cannot locate gun, which is a damn nuisance. They come with a terrific scream and burst with a deafening explosion, most upsetting to one's nerves. We all take cover behind the cliff. Not a soul can be seen on the beaches. All animals are removed to down under the cliff. Casualties, 23 mules and 3 men wounded. One piece of shell fell at my feet, and I picked it up, only to drop it quickly, as it was so hot. After being under fire of such awful shells, one laughs at mild shrapnel. Getting very hot, but perfect weather. Saw Laird for a few minutes and had a chat with him. Not much time for writing today. Go up to Laird's bivvy and have a long talk with him over old times. He landed on that first Sunday on S Beach, and, though in the engineers, had the experience of taking part in three bayonet charges. He was in a neat little dugout when I went up, and was busy looking for a scorpion. I helped him look for it, and it seemed so strange that after all these years we should meet on the Gallipoli Peninsula, and, before sitting down to talk of old times, should be looking for a scorpion that had got into his dugout. Scorpions and snakes about three feet long are becoming more numerous here, but I believe they are harmless, except in self-defense. May 15th. All was quiet on the front last night, but today there has been one long artillery duel. I go up to Brigade Headquarters this afternoon and go round by the road through said El Bar this time, because I don't like them shells. Run as you may, you can't get away from them. On the way I passed Ashmead Bartlett, riding with a naval officer. The latter came and had tea with us later, and said that he was on the implacable, and Ashmead Bartlett was bivying there as well. He is a correspondent for several papers. Several battleships which were moored at the entrance move off at nightfall now, after that feat by the Turkish destroyer which sank the Goliath. There is to be a general attack tomorrow night, Sunday. Some of the Tommies do not like attacking at night. They say, let us get them in the open by day. The knocking out of a sniper by some of the South Wales borderers was described to me today by one of their officers. Two officers were standing up in their trench by a machine gun, one holding a periscope, when a bullet went through the sleeve of his coat, wounding the officer to whom he was talking. The first officer spotted a sniper bob down immediately after. He then got down in the trench beside the man working the machine gun and pointed out to him the bush behind which the sniper had crouched. The machine gun was laid on to it. Then the man on the machine gun and the officer took cover, the man holding his hand up to the machine gun ready to pop off. The officer then cautiously raised the periscope over the trench and looked carefully at the lower mirror. He saw in the mirror a head slowly appear above the bush eight hundred yards away, 
Then a rifle lifted. He said to the machine-gun man, Fire! Pop, pop! And the sniper rolled over dead on his side beside the bush. 5.30. Two Taubes have just come overhead, flying at a great height. Anti-aircraft guns are firing, and there is some good shooting, but the Taubes have turned and are going back to the Turkish lines. One of our aeroplanes has gone up. A beautiful clear day, and one can see in detail the Asiatic side and the Isle of Imbros. No heavy shells today so far on this beach. Invitations to lunch and dinner, etc., go on every day here, and it is regular custom for men in the firing line to invite men from the base, only four miles back, to a meal and vice versa. This campaign is quite unique in many ways. May 16th. Perfect day again. Saw Brigade headquarters, and here they are moving further to the left, up in the firing line, about half a mile beyond Pink Farm. Here that our wounded and French and Australian have been arriving in great numbers in Cairo and Alexandria. The British are now being sent to Malta. Here that 20,000 Turkish wounded have arrived at Smyrna and 12,000 at Constantinople, put in divisional orders to cheer us up. Fancy a civilized nation sending round statistics of the result of their slaughter to cheer and exhort. Yet it cheered me. Strange how quickly one becomes bloodthirsty and savage. Fighting proceeding on our right by French. No general attack being made today. Idea being to strengthen line, push forward steadily by sapping, and then, when in a strong position with three or four lines of supports, to make a rush. This will probably happen in a few days now. Big gun has not been knocked out after all, for we had a dozen of the best over today but I was up in front and so missed it. Gurkhas on left have pushed forward well up to left of Krithia. Still, a few snipers behind our lines on left of Krithia. We had divine service this morning behind 88th Brigade lines. A service under such circumstances is most impressive. Every soul there being within easy distance of a horrible death. It is a lovely morning, and as the soldiers sing the hymns with lusty voices, an accompaniment is provided by the screaming of shells overhead. But the singing continues unabated. Here one hears the same dear old tunes of our childhood, but under what different circumstances. At home, the breeze softly whispering in the trees outside the ancient church, with the shaded light glimmering through the stained glass, and men and women mingling their voices in praise to God. And then out here, the breeze murmurs as at home. The birds are singing and the sun is shining. But over the congregation, the bare-headed rows of khaki figures, even while they sing the same old hymns as of old, the angel of death hovers with naked sword. Then the benediction in level tones from the padre, and the service is ended. Surely the most impressive I have witnessed, for here, in a double sense, one stands face to face with one's maker. May 18th. Our brigade has now moved up about three-quarters of a mile in front of Pink Farm, and I go up this morning to find them. I ride up to and leave my horse at Pink Farm, and walk the rest of the way down past a ruined house on over a small nullah, 
Along the road past a battery, up to a white house called Church Farm, where I think it is about time to halt and inquire the way. A few Tommies encamped in this house tell me brigade headquarters is 200 yards further on in the trenches, and I walk on. I notice a Tommy walking in the same direction with a biscuit tin on his shoulder, which he has rubbed over with mud to prevent the sun glittering on it. I continue on in the direction indicated and hear a few pings past my head, but thinking they are the usual spent bullets, take no notice. Suddenly, something zips past my head, making a row like a huge bee flying at high speed, the noise being unlike the usual ping of a bullet passing harmlessly overhead. I conclude that I am being deliberately fired at by a sniper, and so bend double and, steering a zigzag course, jog-trot across the remaining fifty yards to a nice deep trench. On arrival, I inquire where brigade headquarters is, and am directed to a communication trench, which I go along and find myself at length in a square dugout with no roof, in which are General Williams busy at work with a spade, Thompson, Farmer, and Reeve. Concluding my business, and being instructed that the little ruined house in front of Pink Farm is to be the dump for rations, I say good-bye. Thompson says, Now, Gillum, run like a bunny. But those bullets being a bit free at present over the trenches, I follow my own route back and walk along the hindmost trench, which I am told leads to a nulla which goes back in the direction of Pink Farm. I pass Worcesters and Royal Scots in the trenches, and finally the trench dips down to a wide open space under cover, with a small brook running its course, out of which two nullas run. This, I am told, has been officially named Clapham Junction. Unfortunately, a few shrapnel then burst immediately over Clapham Junction, and I therefore go to look for a waiting room, refreshment room, or booking office in which I can take cover until the rain has stopped. I find a refreshment room in the shape of an advanced dressing station, and two officers there very kindly give me breakfast. After breakfast I walk along the nulla, which I learn is now to be called Krithia Nulla, back towards the rear, and when the sound of bullets pinging away overhead ceases, I step out onto a newly made road, which is still under construction by the engineers, and then come across the Manchesters again, in a newly dug trench forming reserve lines. Walking back to Pink Farm, I mount my mare and canter back to the beach. Last night the Turks made a raid on the part of the line held by the Lancashire Fusiliers, endeavoring to capture a machine gun, but very soon gave up the idea. They lost heavily and left six prisoners behind. Supply depot for my brigade alone now working smoothly. We draw rations for the whole division men and horses, at six o'clock each morning by the general service wagons. This takes two hours, during which the rations are carted from the main supply depot, some three hundred yards inland from our depots at the back of W Beach, and sorted out to each of the three brigade depots and the divisional artillery depot. Breakfast at eight, and at nine-thirty I go to my depot again and issue the rations to my units, meeting the quartermasters who have arrived with their transport. Receipts for the rations are then given to me by the quartermasters, who cart them away to their own lines, 
where their first-line transport is encamped only a distance of three to five hundred yards away on the other side of the beach. At night they are taken up to the various ration dumps, and from there taken the rest of the way to the trenches, either by hand or on pack mules. At the forward ration dumps the work of redistribution is carried on under a continual flight of spent and over bullets, and standing there one is in constant danger of stopping one. Up to now several casualties have been caused, but mostly slight wounds. After five minutes one becomes quite used to the singing of the bullets, which sound quite harmless. It is only when an extra burst of fire breaks out that it is necessary to get into a trench or behind some sheltering cover. I ride up in the afternoon to brigade headquarters, who have now dug themselves into a dry watercourse just in front of Pink Farm. I see General Williams and Thompson. Afterwards I walk up to the trenches where the Worcesters are, up beyond Church Farm and across that open space. At Church Farm I am told that at this side of the building I am out of aiming distance from a rifle and can only be hit by an over, but that at the other side of the building I come under range, and that it is not wise to loiter in that neighborhood. I therefore get across the three hundred yards of open space as quickly as possible, and vaulting into the safety of the trench I inquire where battalion headquarters is, and following the direction given, pass along nice deep trenches with sandbag parapets. Trench warfare in dead earnest has now begun, and for the first time I realize what it is like. An underground world, yet not an underground, for one can see grass, flowers, and trees growing, but only close to. Walking from Church Farm to the trenches, I see nothing but lovely country leading up to frowning Achibaba, and nearby, in front, rows and rows of thrown-up earth. No sign of animal life of any kind. Yet, once in the trenches, I found myself in a world alive with energy. Men cleaning rifles, writing letters, washing clothes, making dugouts, laying cables. I passed dugouts, little rooms of earth dug out of the side of the trench. Some are cookhouses, some officers' bedrooms, some messes, and some orderly rooms with tables and chairs. All this world has been created underground and unseen by the enemy, only a few hundred yards away, in the space of a few weeks. And this is trench warfare, materialized by spade and shovel, by hundreds of strong arms night and day. I come at last to headquarters Worcester Battalion, and am directed to the mess, a nice dugout roofed in by timber. Major Lang is sitting at a table reading letters from home. I ask for letters for Captain Bush, am told they have been sent down to the beach by an orderly, am offered a drink, talk about the heat, which is getting tiresome now, and hear that soon we are to be served out with pith helmets. I say goodbye and start back. I am in a maze and have to be directed back to the trench that I jumped into. I vault out and, zigzagging, jog-trot, for I am told to go quickly back to Church Farm, and hear two bullets singing their faint song far away over my head. I come to a nulla where I find horses and mules in dug-in stables in charge of Robert's brigade transport officer. 
just in front of the little ruined house in front of our brigade headquarters and arriving there hear that thompson has gone back to hill 138 with the brigadier i go back to pink farm mount my mare and cantering along the west krithia road catch them up on either side of the road are now dug rest trenches organized as camps the trenches not as deep as the front trenches but sufficiently so to keep the men under cover i trot along the road through one of these camps and am soon pulled up by an m p with the sharp order no trotting please i ride with thompson to v beach and the river clyde comes in sight seen from the high ground near the lighthouse which was the turkish position on april twenty fifth i hear from him the events of that awful day how when the general and costaker were hit he was ordered to go back to the clyde and to take reeve how he was on one end of the hopper lying down and reeve the other and had to attract his attention and call to him to follow then they had to get back over dead bodies and the wounded under a hail of bullets which zipped overhead or crashed against the hopper and sides of the clyde with a loud bang he described the scenes on board the clyde and the cries of wounded the arrival of messages on steam pinnaces signalers at work semaphoring to battleships and transports and there lay the river clyde now a haven of rest with a solid pier built out from shore and alongside it using its hulk as a harbor v beach now a model of an orderly advanced base under the organizing talent of the french looked a different place to the v beach that i saw last we search for costaker's grave without success two huge graves are on the right of the beach looking seawards the graves of those soldiers and sailors whose bodies i saw laid out for burial on april twenty seventh wired round with fine crosses erected on each i ride back with him through the village past the camp of the amusing senegalese and along the new road that leads to clapham junction on either side rest camps have developed composed of lines of trenches and dugouts sheltered in trees and bushes i see several batteries of seventy-fives and one is in action down a slope through trees and over little nullahs covered with growing gorse bush over meadowland past the site of our old brigade headquarters till when within sight of our new headquarters we come into uninterrupted view of achi baba and thompson then says we had better trot on arrival tea is ready and a new cake has arrived it had taken three weeks to come out and yet tasted quite fresh we have tea in the open at the bottom of the dry brook and afterwards i take my departure on return to w beach over comes a big shell and immediately all work is stopped and one and all general and private make for cover drivers rush to their lines and untie their mules and horses and trot canter and gallop to the safety of the shore at the foot of the cliffs right and left of the beach we wait beneath the friendly sheltering cliffs and hear the swishing shrieks as the shells hurtle through the air bursting on the beach and on the higher ground then as one shriek does not end with the crash of an explosion and its noise continues we look at each other with a certain amount of apprehension until with a fearful rendering it sweeps down onto us 
helplessly taking cover on the steep sides of the cliff, and crashes with a deafening roar almost at our feet, as it seems, but really fifty yards away. Immediately there is a rush to more sheltered ground halfway up the cliff, and three forms are seen lying helplessly in the road. One is my staff sergeant, with a scalp wound and badly shaken, and two are dead, mangled beyond description. Thank the Lord my staff's wound is not serious. Well, he is for Blighty now, and good luck to him. We find the animals, mules and horses, have been strafed rather badly. The lines that they are on are in very exposed positions, as far as shell-fire is concerned, and it was not possible to get many away, and, in consequence, the casualties among the poor, helpless creatures were serious. Hislop, our veterinarian, dispatched all that he could on their last journey with one pull on his revolver, pressed to their foreheads. As a pause came in the shelling, so he rushed out from his dugout and finished off those that were wounded beyond cure, going about the horrid task coolly and methodically, at intervals being forced to rush for cover to save his own skin, but ever ready, when chance offered, to go back to his merciful task. Though we have been on this peninsula but a few weeks, the veterinary services are efficient beyond praise, and the cases of all animal patients, suffering from the smallest ailments to the most serious of wounds, are dealt with by the veterinary officers with the same care as the medical corps bestows on human patients. Looking back on the episodes that occur when the beach is subjected to shell-fire, with the fear of getting hit oneself removed temporarily, the humor of them enters into our thoughts and conversations. What so-and-so looked like when he slid down the cliffs? Did you see Colonel Dash dive behind those boxes, or the Royal Engineer General competing in a fifty-yard sprint with his batman? If it were possible to record on a cinema film these scenes that are instantaneously caused by the arrival of big shells, without recording the bursting of a shell or the occurrence of casualties, then a film could be produced which would rival in knockabout comedy any film of Charlie Chaplin's. The French have been fighting this afternoon, and the seventy-fives banging away for all they are worth. A very big battle has been going on on the right. Perhaps this is why we have been given a taste of shelling. May 19th. I hear that General Damod has gone home, which we all regret. He was very gallant and brave, and was continually with his troops in the trenches. Big gun not very active today, thank heaven. A couple came over, however, while Gregory and I were walking down to the beach. We both dived flat on the ground behind a small arms ammunition box. Really no protection at all, but any cover is better than none. I got behind Gregory when we fell flat, as his tummy, being nice and large, made extra cover for me. I admit I considered only myself at the moment and not Gregory, and the temptation of taking shelter behind his massive form was one that on the instant I could not resist. I told him this, and he got very annoyed with me. W. Beach has now been officially named Lancashire Landing, after the Lancashire Fusiliers, who took the beach on the 25th of last month. The Gurkhas, in their last scrap of a few days ago, took an important bluff on the left of Krithia, overlooking the sea, 
and this bluff has now been called Gurkha Bluff. Just heard that one of our submarines has been up the Sea of Marmora. Not coming back for 21 days, it was given up for lost, but reported back safe and sound today, having sunk two Turkish destroyers and three Turkish transports. Commander awarded the Victoria Cross. Airplanes very active now. Tried to get a flight today, but failed. They go back to Tenedos each night and come sailing over the sea back here after breakfast. It is too dangerous for the machines to remain on at the aerodrome here on account of shell fire. May 20th. Brilliant weather once more. It gets frightfully hot now in the middle of the day. After lunch had a delightful bathe and then went to brigade headquarters in center of position. All quiet there, but French made ground today on right. French now doing excellent work. At Gaba Tepe, Australians heavily attacked last night by Turks in great force, supported by artillery, including 9.2 gun. Attack under personal command of von Sanders. Australians hold their own, the enemy losing heavily, leaving heaps of dead on the field. They come on in the German massed formation, yelling Allah, and are literally mown down. I prophesy that Dardanelles will be opened by June 30th, if not before. Hear that they now have a coalition government at home. We now have issued to us regularly in print one sheet containing wireless news and local news. The sheet is called the Peninsula Press. At times it endeavors to become amusing at the expense of the Turk, but it falls rather flat. May 23rd. This afternoon I walk over with Jennings, Phillips, Williams, and Way to find Major Costaker's grave, as there is some doubt as to where he has been buried. We had difficulty in passing through said El Bar, as the French are very strict about others than French passing through, but an Australian military policeman came to our rescue and passed us through. The French have the advantage in having said El Bar, for amongst the ruined houses are several untouched by shell-fire, in which they are enabled to make very comfortable quarters but the best quarters of all are in the large fort which looks over the straits. The other fort that I have referred to stands back from the beach, on the right-hand side looking seawards. We have our photographs taken, sitting on the muzzle of one of the big Turkish guns at this latter fort. Also, to the huge delight of the Senegalese, we take some photographs of their camp, and one of them insists on my being in the group. We meet with no success in finding Major Costaker's grave, and I can only conclude that he is buried in one of the two large graves down on the beach, marked Gallant Dead of the Dublins and Munsters, and others. On the way back we sit for a while in front of Hill 138, and have a long look at the beautiful country lying between us and Achibaba. Through glasses we notice some precipitous slopes in front of Achibaba, and wonder how long the day will be before our troops will be storming them. Not a sign of the enemy can be seen. Just now and then little white puffs of shrapnel, now from our guns over their lines, and now from theirs over ours. Now and again the French 75s bark out, bang, 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 about as rapid as a machine gun. The FOO, forward observation officer, watches the enemy as a cat does a mouse. 
any sign of life in an enemy trench such as the sight of shovels appearing over the parapet and earth being thrown up a body of turks moving across the open between their lines or a new communication trench that appears in course of construction is immediately telephoned to the battery commander at the guns and before it is possible to count sixty seconds half a dozen shells burst near or on the target no target appears too small or too insignificant for them and ammunition is plentiful a great pile of shells in boxes is tidily stacked against the walls of said el bar fort and the stack steadily grows we are not in the same fortunate position with our ammunition on april twenty seventh when i was at v beach i saw a seventy five battery being hauled up from the shore i was standing amongst some french soldiers and one standing next to me turned to me and pointed to the guns saying soixante cans bon eh he looked upon them with pleasure and almost awe then i did not appreciate their immense worth but now i do we strolled back in the evening had a peaceful dinner and at night but for fitful bursts of rifle fire all was quiet mowat my friend of birmingham days looks in to have a chat but his conversation is rather depressing to us all if his theories are right then we are stuck here in front of achi till the end of the war or driven into the sea a listener to one of his arguments puts forth the theory that if we had effected a landing at the bolaire lines the peninsula being cut off from turkey and europe would automatically have fallen into our hands but that theory is immediately exploded by the knowledge of the fact that at present chanak on the asiatic side is the main source of supply via medos on the peninsula separated as they are from each other by under a mile of water of the straits easily crossed by regular ferries from chanak we believe that the enemy receives nearly all his ammunition stores supplies and reinforcements which are ferried to medos and transported from there by pack mules to their army on the hill we have seen convoys of pack mules now and again on the slopes of achibaba but they seldom show themselves for fear of the heavy shells from the guns of the fleet but they must swarm over each night mowat says that if an army of ours landed at the lines of bulair it would be flanked on either side by turkish armies one on the peninsula and one on the mainland both these armies would be kept in the field by plentiful and safe sources of supply and our army would quickly find itself in an ever-tightening vice rendering it in short time impotent he argues that once it had been decided to land on the peninsula we landed at the right place but that the success of taking the hill might have fallen to our armies if the australians had landed where the twenty-ninth landed namely at hellas on the tip of the peninsula and if the twenty-ninth had landed up the coast behind achi where the australians had landed the twenty-ninth being a more tried and disciplined machine would have conquered its way to medos forming a line of steel behind the small turkish army we are told its strength was about thirty thousand men on april twenty fifth and this turkish army being cut off in rear would have fallen a victim to the oncoming gallant and all-conquering australians and new zealanders the fall of constantinople would not have been far off 
the straits would have been open to the Allied fleets. Another theory is that a landing could then have been effected at Alexandretta, north of Syria, and a march from there could have been made by a strong and overwhelming army of French and British to the gates of Baghdad, and that, after the fall of Baghdad, we should have been able to link up with the Russian army. Then there would follow a sweep through Asia Minor to the coast of the Marmora and shores of the Dardanelles. The fleet would dash up the narrows to the Golden Horn, and, as the Arabs say, Turkey Mafish. Moad appears to have studied the question logically, but it is the staff's job to think these things out, and ours to do our job in our humble way. However, he depresses us, and I shall have to go and have a chat to those naval optimists again. Sed El Bar is a mass of ruins now, but however ruined a village may be, one can always picture to a certain extent what it was like in its lifetime. Sed El Bar must have been a very charming place before the bombardment, with its ancient 15th century houses, orchards, and gardens. The fort, evidently 15th or 16th century, is a very picturesque and massive building, having spacious chambers with the roofs going up in a dome shape, more egg-shaped, though, than dome, made of solid masonry, four or five feet thick. The walls also are just as thick, but the guns of the Queen Elizabeth simply smashed through them like butter. It is wonderful how the country in our possession to date has changed. Roads are being made everywhere. Pipes lead from wells to troughs. Piers run out from beaches. Sides of cliffs have little dugouts and little houses and terraces, with names given them, such as Sea View and Lancashire Terrace, such names being officially recognized. Also, camps and horse lines are everywhere. Big Gun has been shelling V Beach today. Y Beach is now known as Gurkha Beach. End of Section 7